surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing, help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your generosity. Hello and welcome to Let's Talk About It with Taylor Nolan. I am your host and today we are talking binge eating, emotional eating, hormonal eating. Um, We are going to talk with Amber Romanyak, who is a emotional eating, digestive and hormone expert who helps professional women achieve optimal health through mindful eating, self-care and overcoming self-sabotaging with food. Amber actually overcame her own emotional eating after gaining and losing more than a thousand pounds and spending over $500,000 on binge food. And now she helps others achieve body freedom so that they have the confidence and health to create amazing lives. For those of you that don't know much about binge eating disorder, it is the most common eating disorder among Americans, often characterized by reoccurring episodes of excessive food consumption over a really short period of time and often to the point of discomfort, which is then accompanied by this loss of control, feelings of shame and guilt, and often sorry, frequently actually, will result in stress, isolation, um, reduced quality of life, and is a disorder that not many people know about. So I'm really excited to get into a little bit about what binge eating looks like, um, but also talking a lot about what emotional eating looks like, um, especially for women and how to balance a busy lifestyle with uh, multitasking and eating and how to actually mindfully eat. And then honestly, a very important topic to me, um, signs of some hormonal imbalance and um, how we are actually eating based off of our hormones. So I'm super excited today to get into some of this as it is something that really impacts so many people um, on a day-to-day basis, you know, we need food literally to survive. So this is such an important topic and um, I'm really excited to chat about this. So uh, without any further intro, um, welcome Amber to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, Taylor, for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yes. And I'm so bummed. Um, You're actually in Calgary and I was there at the end of April and Mm -hmm. would have loved to have met you face-to-face in person, but at least we're here on FaceTime. Thank goodness for technology. (laughs) Thank goodness for technology. And yes, if you ever come back, yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I really appreciate the work that you're doing in this area. I think this is a topic that I do get so many questions mm-hmm. about, not only from the podcast, but also on Instagram. And mm-hmm. on your Instagram, you cover a lot of really great topics and you also share Thank some you. of your own story on your Instagram as well. Um, so I would love to kind of start off our episode today a little bit, just kind of learning a little bit more about your story. Um, From what Mm -hmm. I know, this whole journey kind of started for you at about five years old of becoming aware of your body. And even the story around that just like made my heart feel for you so much and Mm -hmm. wanted to like get into a whole discussion around how we parent men, parent little boys. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, 
<laughs> but I would love for you to share a little bit with our listeners kind of uh, how you first became aware of your body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think what it really was, was that experience where I was five, my first day on the bus. I'm so excited, right? You're just mm-hmm. like so vulnerable and innocent at five. And I'm like, yes, who am I going to sit with? And then I get on the bus. First thing that happens is the older boys go, oh, look at her. She's fat. She's ugly. And I just could feel my heart sink. Mm-hmm. And I really believed them. And I took that on. And so because I was like, well, they don't know me. And if if strangers think that, well, then it must be true. And so I really took that identity on of I must be fat. I must be ugly. And that's where I really, at that point, aside from my father, like lost trust in in men Mm -hmm. or boys at that time. I thought, okay, well, you know, I probably won't get as much attention as the other girls who are maybe thinner than me. And I um, essentially started to just develop this relationship with food, not only because food doesn't call you names and put you down. It tasted good. Mm -hmm. It made me feel good. And my mother had, and still does to this day, have a very emotional relationship with food. Mm. Um, being she was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis before I was born, I think it was a way for her to compensate with yeah. things she couldn't necessarily do with me. And so it was like right off the bat from a young age, I had this emotional mm. connection with food and I started dieting around 10. Mm. Um, that's like vividly when I remember the first time I really started to restrict food and then of course would go up and down with my weight. But it, yeah. that was a huge defining moment for me when I went on the bus and, and mm-hmm. had that experience. And I carried that identity for probably the, the next 20 years of my life. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think that's such a hard message. I mean, at five, that is such a vulnerable period mm-hmm. in your life. And you are so susceptible to like absorbing these messages about yourself. And yeah. I think, you know, little girls are kind of told a, a mix of, of things of that the boys that pick on you, they're do, just doing that because they like you. But then mm-hmm. you're also like, wait, but this now makes me feel ugly and bad. And this means that they don't like me. And there's all these kind of twisted notions around that. And even, I mean, I think that's a fantastic point about, you know, understanding kind of where your mom was at and how that Mm -hmm. was able to uh, create this area of bonding for the two of you. And I think for everyone, I think food is emotional. I think that, Mm -hmm. you know, when you think about some of the like the ways that we gather as humans, you know, we Mm -hmm. gather around the dinner table to bond and connect. And um, there are already, uh, as we grow up, these emotions kind of attached to food. Mm, Big time. There's Mm -hmm. so much programming around food for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, not to get into the parenting part too, but I think uh, oftentimes too, like food is used as reward for children. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Which plays a big part, I think, as we grow up into how mm-hmm. we reward and punish ourselves with food. Oh, I completely agree. And it's like, you did bad on a test. Let's go for ice cream. You did good on a test. Let's go for ice cream. You skinned your knee. Let's go for ice cream. Oh, you need a distraction. Here's a sucker or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I know for the parent, because I'm not a parent yet, but I know it's innocent. Yeah. But mm-hmm. it is also to understand that, you know, those first seven years of a child's life, like you, their subconscious is fully open and they're absorbing and taking in everything. And that creates mm-hmm. their patterning and programming. Um, mm-hmm. And it's profound the impact that it has as you grow up, because so many of my clients and the women that I talk to, all they've known is that food is just, you know, inserted in every area of their mm-hmm. life to cope with every area of life and emotions. Yeah. 
um, but that they're completely disconnected from the cells and so unhappy with their bodies and their body image. And mm-hmm. They feel so alone and so insecure. And then here they are trying to use food to fill that void, mm-hmm. which of course will never be filled with food. So it just creates that vicious cycle. Yeah. Yeah. And for you, as you kind of went into adolescence and into your teen years, what did um, emotional eating or just disordered eating or just eating in general look mm-hmm. like for you? Yeah, that's a great question. And I didn't even realize really that mm-hmm. that was going on until I actually like hit my 20s and had a full-blown food addiction. But it looked like there was always an abundance of like cookies and pies and ice cream and treats because again, my mom was bringing a lot of this home. Um, And what was so interesting is she would always tell me, well, when I was young, my parents didn't have the money to buy these things. So Mm -hmm. I'm making up for lost time. That lack mentality didn't have enough. And so she was always like, and the fridge was always way too full. And we're always throwing so much out. Mm -hmm. And I remember like going through the pantry so many times and clearing out old cookie boxes and all these things that had gone bad that were just shoved to Mm -hmm. the back. So there was this lack mentality there. And mm-hmm. I started to take that on. And we always have so many things available. And I would just grab whatever I wanted. There was never any like portion control or yeah. oh, just have one cookie. It was like, you can have as much as you want. And so I thought it was normal to sit down with like two or three full chocolate bars and four or five cookies and a glass of milk and just sit and watch a television show. Yeah. Um, and then I also assumed, well, I'm probably going to be overweight and end up more like my mom's side of the family because everyone's obese and everyone's overweight. And I must just have that like body chemistry. Like mm-hmm. I had no idea that what I was putting into my body was having such an impact because I didn't get any symptoms. I at that time didn't get stomach ache. I didn't get a headache or mm-hmm. I didn't have any skin issues. So physically I felt fine, but it was that my body was hanging on to weight or protection as I refer to it as, but I just thought that that was like normal. And so then I'd be like, Oh, okay. I've gotten to this higher weight, you know, cause I weigh in all the time. Mm -hmm. And so like, okay, let's really cut back. And I, you know, would then cut back on like carbs or sugar things Mm -hmm. that I thought were bad. Um, and then the weight would come off. Right. And then I'd maybe maintain it for a few months and then you just, I'd fall back into those old habits Mm -hmm. and it would come back on, um, and that's really how I spent my teen, my adolescence, my teens, ripping out, you know, pictures of models and magazines and thinking, I need to look like this to be loved yeah. and to be good enough. And so I'd like plop that on the treadmill and be like, I need to walk and run until I look like that, not knowing again the like mass of how photoshopping and mm-hmm. you know starvation and eating disorders and that there are also petite women who are like just naturally small and that's also yeah. okay but I didn't know any of that I was just so unaware mm-hmm. right and just so convinced that I have to look this way to be loved and be good enough mm-hmm. yeah. yeah and I, I mean thank you for for sharing all of that with your story and I think so many people can relate to that So I just want to take a little mini break here since we're on this topic and share a resource that I think will be really beneficial for listeners. Um, I've talked about them before on the podcast and they're one of my favorite sponsors um, and they are BetterHelp, which is online counseling. And I get so many questions about how to find a counselor and where people can um, start this whole process, you know, doing this kind of internal work. And um, I think using BetterHelp is a fantastic way to get started. It's a safe, private, online environment 
Um, anything that you share is confidential. And it's also just really convenient for people that are, um, you know, have really busy lifestyles or traveling a lot. Uh, you, can, you can really get the help kind of at your own time at your, at your own pace. Um, you can schedule video or phone sessions. You can also just text with your therapist. And honestly, one of the biggest um, questions that I get from people when they start working with a therapist is once you realize maybe you don't actually fit very well with this therapist and feel like you guys are not doing the work that you want to be doing and you kind of want to switch therapists, that can be a really uncomfortable thing to do. And with BetterHelp, they make it super easy. All you have to do is just request a new one. And then you don't even have to, like, there's no extra charges or anything. So it's super, super easy. Um, And BetterHelp is not a crisis line. So um, it really is online counseling. And uh, you can start communicating with people in under 24 hours with four different communication modes, text, chat, phone, or video. Um, And it's really affordable. So... I want to make it even more affordable for you fantastic listeners um, who are interested in getting help. Uh, you can get 10% off of your first month with discount code TAYLOR. You can go to betterhelp.com slash talk about it and you fill out a questionnaire to help them kind of assess your needs and then they will match you with a counselor and you can get started. So I hope you guys check it out and maybe even after this episode, um, you can go to their website, betterhelp.com slash talk about it. And don't forget to enter the code Taylor for 10% off your first month. And that's, you know, with weekly sessions, however frequently you need to um, seek that help. But it's it's totally okay to seek it. And I hope if you're in the mood for it or you're looking for it or you're in that season in your life where you could use some extra support that you check out BetterHelp as an amazing resource and... Um, Again, we can kind of get back into our topic today, but just wanted to share that um, resource for you guys. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash talk about it with discount code Taylor. I know you're in Canada, but I think, I don't know, I'm learning more and more about Canadian culture <laughs> and my boyfriend too, but and all the ways that we are really similar and also very different. But I think especially too in American culture, there is this, you know, luxury and need to have this abundance of food um, mm-hmm. and that that really has been normalized. And I think even parts yeah. of how you mentioned how food is kept in the household, that that is pretty mm-hmm. similar too to also how I grew up, that it was like my mom was a single mom. And so we didn't have a lot of food. And when, what we did, we had like, you know, frozen hot dogs and, you know, mm-hmm. frozen dinner meals for dinner. And when she yeah. met my stepdad, you know, and he was in the Air Force, we then finally had some money and you know I remember living in South Carolina and yeah we always always had so much food in the fridge and it's a lot of it I mean I could get into a whole thing around our waste that Mm. that's just so excessive um but it does it sends you these different messages of just like yeah this is just kind of normal this is just how I'm growing up this is how what I see in my family this is what I see with my friends and not having that education or that awareness even of how that's impacting you and it sounds like oh for sure that started to come up for you a little bit in your 20s that Mm -hmm. awareness yeah Uh, oh my goodness essentially it was when I had a breakup happen and I was absolutely Mm -hmm. heartbroken and I couldn't eat like I just physically felt so hurt that I had to force myself to like even get a banana in or like have a bit of salad and and chicken and then I but what I started to notice as this was happening was oh I'm losing weight and Mm. it's coming off fast and I then I thought oh if I get the perfect body then he'll want me back and everything will just be fine again assuming that an external image is going to solve everything when 
I didn't love myself. I hated myself, in fact, and I was, I didn't know how to manage stress. And so mm-hmm. I was literally making myself sick mm-hmm. through that relationship because I had no idea about how to take care of myself. And so when the weight just started to so easily fall off and my appetite slowly started to come back, I started to really just ensure I would diet and minimally eat and over-exercise. And I lost the weight very quickly. And at the time I had what I thought was the perfect body, but with it, came a big arrogance, Mm. came with me being even more critical of myself. Oh, maybe I can like get a bit more of a thigh gap and get a bit more off my arms. Maybe I can lose another few pounds. And Mm -hmm. and the obsession became about nitpicking. And I'd look in the mirror for hours and just like obsess about my body. Mm -hmm. And then my my period went away and my hormones were going out of whack. And right. And then I, so it's like, I was not healthy physically, mentally, emotionally, Mm-hmm. I had the perfect body, but I wasn't happy. And then of course the guy didn't want me back. And then yeah. I just kind of went to this all or nothing space where I'm like, he doesn't want me back. This is a lot of work. Screw it. And that's when the switch just like flipped and it, the binging began. And it wasn't just like a couple pieces of chocolate. It was excessive. It was like mm-hmm. going and getting a whole foot long sub and then going to the cupcake shop and buying six full cupcakes and eating them mm-hmm. and then going and right to to the, and I would deem it, oh, well, it's okay if I go to, you know, the health food store, but buying like sandwiches and pasta and ice cream and chips and like bags of things. Mm -hmm. As I share, like I spent $50,000 on binge food in five years. Like it was excessive and I didn't have money. Like I was broke. I was a starving student (laughs) yet. I would like be like, do I get gas or do I go and binge? Like the addiction really became full blown at that time. Mm -hmm. And I had no control. I knew I had a problem, but I had no control and no idea why I was doing it or how to overcome it. Um, but it, that's really when the awareness began at that time when that switch flipped over yeah. and I went into that full-blown binge mode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's important to note here too that binge, uh, binge eating disorder is actually the most common eating mm-hmm. disorder, um, at least for Americans. Um, I don't know. Same with Canadians too, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I think it's the one that we hear about the the least often, yeah. <laughs> less lesser than the other ones. Um, so I, I would love to hear a little bit more, if you don't mind sharing, just mm-hmm. kind of um, that the awareness kind of came up as the binging was happening. And what did that awareness look like? Yeah, well, at first, a lot of it was fear because I was just like, this is scary. Mm-hmm. I don't feel well, right? I would mm-hmm. binge and then I would just, I'd be in so much physical pain. I'd be so bloated. I'd yeah. be exhausted. My heart rate would pick up. And I was scared. Like, what am I doing to my body? I can't stop. Am I going to die because I'm mm-hmm. hurting my body so much? Yeah. But then the cravings would come around and I'd want the sugar again. I'd want, you know, the the baked goods and the sweets and I'd want the salty things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for me, a big awareness was when I started to understand that I was like chemically also addicted to these foods and there was the emotional component Mm -hmm. and a physical component, right? Like it wasn't that I didn't have willpower. And when I started to do some reading and research, um, after hitting my low point, which was eating out of a garbage can after I had binged, Mm. um, and then throwing the food in the dumpster and going out to the dumpster and binging, I was like, Hey, this is a serious issue. Mm -hmm. There is something not right here that if I'm going to this excess and this extent, um, and so as I started to understand that the binge eating and the the full-blown food addiction, which for me was like, I couldn't get food out of my head. I was so obsessed with it, whether it was the excess or the deprivation, mm-hmm. I would speed to the store. 
to buy food. Like I could have hit somebody. I could have run someone over. Like Mm. it was a serious addiction. Um, and so when I started to understand how the food was exciting, the same parts of the brain as heroin and cocaine Mm -hmm. were, and that I had this addictive part of me that I didn't understand before and that I was seeking this high and that you store those memories in your brain of those first few bites, but there's no part of your brain where you store how crappy you feel afterward, right? (laughs) So I started to just learn all of this about myself and I kind of became my own guinea pig. And I'm like, okay, there's this component. There's this component where my blood sugar is out of whack and I'm craving mm-hmm. these foods. There's this component of, I feel like I am addicted to, to wheat and gluten and dairy. And I started yeah. to read about those foods and how they have the, these opioid receptor production that we produce and, and how they make food so that you lose control with it. So mm-hmm. how they make it in a lab, literally, yeah. so you can't stop eating it. And it blew my mind that this is the way the food industry mm-hmm. was like developed. And I couldn't believe it, but I was like, wow, I, I became so fascinated with all this information I was reading and how it was impacting my body. Um, and mm-hmm. that's when I started to gain some power going, no, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm not broken. It's not that I don't have willpower. It's that there are many things here that I have not had any idea about that are happening that I need to learn about for myself Mm -hmm. to get over this and, you know, have that freedom. So that's where I needed that low point, though, to really happen to kind of be like, I can't keep doing this or something serious Mm -hmm. is going to happen. So that's where the awareness started. What did that look like with your support system, with your friends and your family, yeah. kind of on both ends of that um, when when you weren't eating and when you were exercising a lot and then when that mm-hmm. switch kind of flipped and the binge eating started, um, were other people in your life aware of this? And if they did, how did they show support? Yeah, so no one was aware. Mm-hmm. I'm sure people were noticing the fluctuation in my weight every mm-hmm. few other months. I definitely got a lot of complimenting. Um, oh, when I lost weight, you look so great. Oh, yep. I wish I looked like you. All the attention from men all of a sudden, right? Mm-hmm. Like again. Um, but when the switch flipped the other way, I got some comments from some men that I dated when I were thinner. And so I was like, okay, you can all go away. Um, mm-hmm. But I really isolated. I was very embarrassed and ashamed. So I actually hid. I didn't tell anybody. I was way yeah. too embarrassed. Um And what that cost me at that point was actually not seeing a friend that I'd seen um, the last time I was at my thinnest. And then I gained about 60 pounds Mm. and we'd been trying to get together and and just, I kept making up all these stories because I was so scared, even though I knew he wouldn't care that he would Mm -hmm. judge me because of all the past experiences. And then we had finally, I'd mustered up the courage to make plans. I'm like, just go, you'll have fun no matter what, because it's not about your weight. And then unfortunately Mm -hmm. he got killed in a car accident. And so that was like a second wake up call for me of like, even though it's so ridiculously uncomfortable to feel like this big, like this, I can't hide and not see my friends and spend time with people I love. Cause like, I don't, you never know, like mm-hmm. you're not promised. Yeah. Um, and so that's when I did start to like become a bit more social, but I still didn't tell anybody until I was really aware of the emotional part of this, mm-hmm. you know, binge eating disorder of like, I don't love myself. There's a void. Mm-hmm. I'm doing this to punish myself. Um, And so once I started to understand that and understand that that some of the friends I had were actually triggers, not them themselves, but that they also wanted to buy candy and buy food and sit around and eat. That's Mm -hmm. when I had to start sharing with them what I was going through. Cause I'm like, sometimes I may actually cancel or not want to hang out because 
it's too vulnerable for me right now. And I don't want to go down this week and I don't want to fall back. And I've just kind of gotten back out. Mm -hmm. Um, so I told a couple close friends and then I told everyone else once I overcame my food addiction and decided that, you know, how many other people are struggling with this that I want to support and Mm -hmm. also got my, um, certified holistic nutrition background and knew that Mm -hmm. I wanted to niche in this. So once I put my story up on my website, I was like, I've got to tell my close friends and family. So I actually sent them the story Mm -hmm. so that they would know. But I just, yeah, for me, it was that embarrassment and that shame Mm -hmm. Um, was just so deep. But I would encourage people to open up to those that they feel safe to share with. I think it's so important for you to feel safe um, and have that safe space. Because if you share with someone who is just going to kind of, well, it's not a big deal or like, just don't eat the food. Like, oh, that's just an itself will trigger you Mm -hmm. to want to go and binge, right? Someone that's going to actually help provide empathy as opposed to sympathy. Yes. Yeah. Yes, Mm -hmm. exactly. Yeah. And what for you, if you were kind of on the flip side of this, and I guess now you kind of are with the work that you do with your clients, um, Mm -hmm. but what are some of these signs of emotional eating? We got Mm -hmm. to hear a little bit of your story with this, but what would you say would be some signs that people could look out for both in themselves and also like with their friends maybe? Yeah. So I think a big one is you have a body image struggle and you're using food to try to control your weight. So you're mm-hmm. either dieting yeah. or the, you're on the other end, like that all or nothing mindset. The other end is you're emotionally eating, binging, mm-hmm. losing control with food because you're restricting yeah. and any diet will trigger emotional eating. And, and my expertise and, mm-hmm. and my experiencing working with my clients, I think another one is weight fluctuations. Mm-hmm. You have eight or, you know, anywhere between five to 10 different sizes of clothing in your closet and you're fluctuating every few months up and down. Um, and again, that's tied to that body image piece. Um, yeah. I think another sign is you're obsessing about food. You're thinking about mm-hmm. it all the time. You feel guilty. Even if you have one small like piece of chocolate or a, a minimal indulgence, mm-hmm. you beat yourself up. Now you need to go to the gym and make up for it and burn yeah. those calories. Or again, you throw in the towel and you go completely the other way down that road of binge eating and self-sabotage with food. Mm-hmm. Um I think that obsession piece is huge. You're obsessing with weighing in. You're obsessing Mm -hmm. with counting, measuring calories, measuring your food. Um, And you you just have it so ingrained within you that you need to eat less and exercise more to lose the weight. And then once you lose the weight, you'll be happy. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there's so much identity tied up with external image versus internal, but that's because we're not taught. This is not taught in school, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And the diet and fitness industry is all about eat less, exercise more, hustle, work harder. And I think that's one of the biggest breakdowns, but it's a trillion dollar industry. And Mm -hmm. obviously people like 80% of the North American population doesn't have success with their weight loss. Yeah. So it's a huge moneymaker. Yeah. I've, I've talked about kind of diet culture on the podcast a few times and Mm -hmm. just how damaging that can be and how diets are literally designed to fail. Um, And that I think, you know, when you really want to actually see a change in not only your eating, but in your overall health, um, Mm -hmm. I think making those small lifestyle changes and getting more in touch with yourself emotionally to become aware of these things. Um, Because like you said, with the first point of the body image, um, even with the obsessing over the food, those two signs I think carry so much in control. And Mm -hmm. oftentimes we try to use things like food as something that we can control in our lives when so much else is outside of our control and gives us anxiety and stresses us Mm -hmm. out um, that 
what we put in our mouths is like one of the few things that we tangibly have control over and Mm -hmm. can start to really obsess over that. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. And then this whole concept of fear of losing control, Mm -hmm. even though you're already out of control, it's very, it's very much a vicious cycle in itself. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think now, especially with like social media and all these celebrities and influencers endorsing certain diets or eating styles. Fit tummy I think that's, tea. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it's so I bad. Think it's just, it's, it's exponentially exploded probably mm-hmm. the influence of people who are struggling with this stuff already, let alone yeah. that to go on social media and see, oh, well, this person has a million followers and they're claiming this is the way. So, right. Yep. It's, it's almost like it gives them more credibility when it shouldn't. Yeah. Um, I, it's, it's even hard for me. Sometimes I struggle with, you know, what I do share around food and exercise. Um, because sometimes even just sharing a photo in my bathing suit, I'll get messages from people saying that I triggered them in a way mm. because I have more of a petite figure. And that is mm-hmm. what society tells us is what people, what women should look like. Um, even though we come in all different shapes and sizes and are all beautiful in our own ways. Um, but of even, you know, oh, well, is it okay if I share, you know, this salad Mm -hmm. or if I share them eating this cookie, are people going to think, you know, all these different things that we can kind of make up, um, about Mm -hmm. what this person's lifestyle must look like. And, um, attributing that to kind of how to, that that those are things you can do to look like that person then. Um, And there is such this emphasis on our outward appearance and what our bodies look like. Mm -hmm. And it carries such a heavy weight in our identities. And I'm curious if you can share a little bit um, what your work in that space has looked like with clients Mm -hmm. of perhaps separating that identity of their worth is what their body looks like. Yeah. And that's a huge part is actually taking the focus and emphasis off of the external image, Mm -hmm. off of what the number on the scale says, off of what the clothing size is. Mm -hmm. And I always say to them, like, let's focus on this beautiful health journey and, and this body freedom journey where we're improving your energy levels where I'm I'm supporting with overcoming emotional eating and understand what's triggering you to go to Mm -hmm. food. Let's undo the old diet mentality. Let's improve your digestion and your blood sugar. Let's explore your hormones and see what's going on there. And so through helping them take the focus off of that diet body image Mm -hmm. obsession and onto their true physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual health, if Mm -hmm. they're open to that, then they start to be, build body awareness and they go, wow, when I eat this food, it gives me the symptom. Or when yeah. I go to bed at midnight, I'm tired the next day. And that makes me more vulnerable to want to binge. Mm-hmm. So getting more sleep is really helping me overcome that trigger. Yeah. Right. And then they start to feel better and then they start to compliment themselves more and they start to incorporate more self-care, which is a huge part is, mm-hmm. is making yourself a priority and and putting the time into your schedule to honor yourself mm-hmm. so that you you can work through your emotions and build that connection. And so I think shifting that focus and not even talking really about the weight, not really talk and aside from this is this question that I ask is I refer to weight as protection. I really believe the body hangs on to weight or protection mm-hmm. when he or she does not feel safe. So if we can get curious about why is it that your body's hanging on to protection physically, mentally, emotionally. Yeah. If we can understand that more, well, then we can take loving action and we can support those things mm-hmm. without anything extreme, negative, or sabotaging. And again, that helps people gain awareness and build in tuneness with their body. And as they do that, they feel more confident and they feel so empowered 
and mm-hmm. their health improves immensely. Yeah. And then they realize, you know what? I don't need to have a certain clothing size or I don't need to be a certain weight mm-hmm. to be happy and healthy. Um, and it's also so interesting because then because they've taken the focus off of all this stuff um, that hasn't been serving them and they're really honoring their body, I find that that protection comes off quite easily yeah. without any focus or effort. And then they're like, oh my gosh, my pants are fitting looser. Oh my gosh, like I have lost weight, mm-hmm. but it's not the focus anymore. Yeah which is so empowering. Yeah. And you touch on um, how self-care plays a role in this. Mm. Um, and I'm I'm really curious kind of, again, a little bit of some of the work that you've done here and even maybe from your own personal experience mm-hmm. um, of, you know, when food has been your primary source of coping, um, mm-hmm. of how you move from that to really identifying what self-care and what self-love looks like for you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. So I think the self-care, I started to see how valuable it was when I would overbook my schedule and get overwhelmed Mm -hmm. and ungrounded. And then I would want to binge, right? Because it was like, it gave me this pleasure. It calmed me down temporarily, even though the after effects were not great. Um, so I started to understand that overwhelming my schedule would overwhelm me and starting to Mm -hmm. learn more about my triggers and what triggered me to emotionally eat was so empowering because then I would go, okay, now I'm going to use something like deep breathing Mm -hmm. or meditating or yoga, um, to, to try and navigate. Yeah coping with this trigger in a healthy way. Yeah, I think the trigger part is so important. I'm so glad you said Mm -hmm. that because I think so many things can be triggers. And like we said, even at the beginning of this, even it's, it's used as a, as a reward and almost Mm -hmm. kind of as like a punishment in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, and that it can really be used to cope with anything. So yeah. In, in terms of triggers, um, one thing that I, a, I kind of think people would benefit from hearing because it's a lot of women that listen to this podcast, but mm-hmm. also personally for myself too. Um, when talking about triggers, I know you do a lot of work around hormones and mm-hmm. how that plays a role in our eating. Um, yeah. And I know for me, like when I am in my PMS week, I mm-hmm. li- I just want to eat everything and I will get mm-hmm. so agitated. Like emotionally, I get like... I either want to just cry or I'm like, Mm -hmm. I'm about to scream at someone that I'm just like, Mm -hmm. I need something. And like, I just, my body is like yelling at me Mm -hmm. and it's, it doesn't seem like a good thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And PMS is quite a big trigger for a lot of my clients, especially in the Mm -hmm. beginning. And so what I find from, from a hormone and PMS standpoint is if someone is experiencing multiple PMS symptoms and they seem quite intense to me, that is a sign that the body is quite out of balance. There's probably inflammation. There may be digestive issues, the cortisol, Mm -hmm. the thyroid, the progesterone, estrogen may be off. You may be deficient in vitamins and minerals. So it's actually to know that the more symptoms your body is having, the more she's trying to talk to you, get your attention that there's stuff going on. Mm -hmm. Are you going to listen to me? Otherwise, I'm just going to keep talking louder. Um, And so the cravings can become more intense, A, because you have a hormone fluctuation and that um, sometimes can make us a bit deficient in especially magnesium because I know a lot of women crave chocolate around their cycle. Mm -hmm. And so I always say, well, if there's a magnesium deficiency, let's you know, make sure you're doing lots of leafy greens and nuts and seeds around that time to help compensate mm-hmm. or to take like a magnesium 
before bed. So there's that one physical aspect, but then it's to also go, what's going on with your other hormones? So Mm -hmm. let's look at that. Because if you're highly stressed, your schedule's overbooked, I can guarantee you probably have like a cortisol imbalance, Mm -hmm. which is the stress hormone. And that plays a huge role on your hunger hormones. So you produce ghrelin to make you hungry and leptin to make you full. And those go completely skewed, Mm -hmm. especially during that cycle change. But just in general, um, if you're stressed and overwhelmed, you're skipping meals, especially breakfast. Yeah, And that will make the cravings just feel even bigger and harder to have any kind of control Mm -hmm. over, Mm -hmm. right? And then you throw in the wiring of the brain, Mm -hmm. which is, it seems like evening is a vulnerable time for a lot of women that I chat with. But if you're repeating this habit over and over, it just, it seems to intensify during that PMS time. And then you may not want to go and binge or emotionally eat, but there's this like pattern, this neural pathway lighting up in your brain that's going, it's time to binge, it's time mm-hmm. to binge, even if you don't want to. Yeah. And sometimes it just feels easier to give in because it's so yeah. exhausting to fight the urge. Yeah, it takes a lot of emotional energy to do. Yes. Um, and I did a mini research before we recorded because I was like, I really want to know some of the statistics around this stuff. Um, and one that I found was from the APA, the American Psychological Association. Um, it was a study that they did back in 2013, but mm-hmm. they noted that 33% of adults who reported overeating or eating unhealthy foods because of stress mm-hmm. say that they do it because it helps distract from stress. Um, but that also, 30% of adults report skipping a meal due to stress, um, and 41% of adults who reported skipping a meal due to stress reported doing it weekly or more, mm. um, and that a lot of, in those instances, then about 46% of people would report feeling bad about their bodies, um, and about 36% saying that they then feel sluggish or lazy after mm-hmm. having overeaten or eating an unhealthy meal, um, yeah. which I think just kind of speaks volumes to what we're talking about here. And even they did a separate section kind of on women and how they would handle stress and eating um, and that women were much more likely than men to experience unhealthy eating behaviors as Mm -hmm. a result to stress. And I think especially when we look at our hormones that can cause more stress (laughs) on us, that, um, that we would struggle with more of this, you know, kind of binging around certain times and perhaps mm-hmm. having a lack of appetite during certain times. And yeah. um, even without the hormonal piece, um, even just emotionally wise, like I know myself, I'm such an emotional person. And, mm-hmm. you know, if I'm feeling really, really sad, I'm either going to go one way or the other where I'm either going to want to crave things and want to eat more to kind of Mm -hmm. attempt to soothe that Mm -hmm. uh, in air quotes Um, (laughs) or I'm not going to have an appetite at all. And that even when we are in really high stress times, you know, our like digestive system literally slows down. And so we're not getting kind of the same perhaps hormonal uh, messages to our brain about being hungry or not. Um, So I don't know. I, I said a lot, but I'm curious your thoughts on that. I completely agree with you because let's face it, everything has a domino effect. And so when we start with the high stress already, mm-hmm. right, and you're skipping the meals or you're already kind of getting into the overeating, that in itself is having a huge impact on your hormones and your digestive system. And like you said, when you're stressed out, your digestion shuts down. Yeah. You're in fight or flight mode. Mm-hmm. Um, you're having a stress response. And so your circulation goes down into your limbs to help you run away from a bear that's not actually there. Yeah. Right. That threat mode. And so 
you could eat the healthiest lunch or it could be the most refined thing. But if your digestion is shut down, you're not going to absorb those nutrients. You're going to, you know, potentially not digest your protein well enough in your stomach, which is really where we break down protein, especially. Um, and then you're going to end up with larger particles of food going into the small intestine. Mm -hmm. And these larger particles are going to hit against the intestinal lining and create inflammation. And, and then over time, that repetition can lead to that leaky gut. And then you have mm -hmm. more inflammation and you feel more sensitive and bloated, even if yeah. you're eating really well. And that in itself is a trigger. Like if I would get bloated when I was eating healthy, that would trigger me to binge because I'm like, well, what's the point? I'm yeah. already bloated. Mm -hmm. I might as well go and sabotage even more. Yeah. Um, and I know a lot of my clients in the beginning get very angry and frustrated with their bodies when Mm -hmm. They're getting these symptoms because they're embarrassing, they're inconvenient, yeah. and it's uncomfortable um, when, if we could actually look at the body's symptoms as the body's way of communicating and speaking with us and going, hey, mm -hmm. I'm trying to give you these signals and hope you'll investigate this further and do something about it because there's something not right. Here. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. I, I think it's, I think the education piece around our awareness of our body is so important mm -hmm. because... I could so easily say, you know, when I'm in that moment of PMS and I'm like literally like the hormone monster out of big mouth and I am just like so angry and mm -hmm. just want carbs so badly, like that to the point where I like want to cry. Um, mm -hmm. I could just say, oh, well, my body is craving carbs. So yeah, what I need to do right now is I need, need to eat a bunch of potato chips and then I need to eat this cookie <laughs> and then I'm going to have a piece of chocolate and then I'm going to eat a granola bar. Um, I, I could tell myself all those things because just, okay, this is what my body is telling me I need. And so I need to mm -hmm. soothe this. But in reality, when we actually become educated around the awareness of our bodies, we can then make different decisions based on yes. what our body is actually craving. And that's kind of the education that you help provide. A hundred percent. And what's so interesting is in the beginning for most people, their cravings are very refined. So like candy, baked goods, chips, right? Mm -hmm. Mine's um, just like carbs. I'm like, I just want bread. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then it changes. And all of a sudden, you know, when I check in with them and we're having a follow-up and I'm asking them any cravings the last couple of weeks and the, there's this silent moment and they're going, no, this is the first time in my mm. entire life that I'm not craving anything where they start to crave like an apple or greens mm -hmm. or a certain kind of protein because they're lacking in something. And they're actually now, again, in tune with the cues of the body. Mm -hmm. um, it makes a big difference. But I mean, a couple quick ones is a lot of people will crave those carbs if there's a cortisol or an adrenal imbalance, yeah. um, you know, a, same as sweets. And then I find um, a lot of women are craving more salty foods um, with mineral and cortisol mm -hmm. and thyroid imbalances. Um, so it's very interesting to see physically why the body can yeah. produce some of these cravings, but then emotionally, like so many people crave sweet and sugar because there's a sweetness missing from their mm -hmm. life and they're trying to compensate by eating the sugar, which yeah. again, doesn't do the trick. Yeah. Yeah. I think one thing that I've tried to be very conscious of, um, and again, I'd say during my PMS week is like when I don't have as much power <laughs> or I don't feel as strong. It's a more vulnerable time for yes. sure for women, right? Yes. Um, and some months are better than others. But, um, you know, like I, one thing I do try to do almost every night is I'm, I am very big in my dessert and I just have such a sweet tooth and I, <laughs> I do enjoy that. So I either have one of two things. I either have one square of dark chocolate a mm -hmm. night, like that's 
All I need. I just want my one square and like I'm satisfied. Um, If I do more than that, then I will start to feel like icky Mm -hmm. um, physically. And or I will have two peanut butter chocolate chip cookies where Mm -hmm. like I literally I bake them like at a time. I don't bake like the whole carton of them. Um, Mm -hmm. I just bake two of them and I force anyone else that's around me to only have their two. Even (laughs) though everyone's like, well, wait, like why don't you just make one? I'm like, no, you get two cookies. (laughs) And I'm like, that's what we're good with. (laughs) Awesome. So I, I try very hard to be, you know, even when I do want these things that I know are not necessarily nourishing my body, mm-hmm. um, that I am trying to do them within portions that seem reasonable for my body because it's yeah. going to be different for every person. Yes, 100%. And I think it is so important to give yourself permission because mm-hmm. I find if we fight it and go, I can't, yeah. I shouldn't, it's bad. Yeah. What you resist persists and you're going to end oh, yeah. up full-blown binging because you didn't go, you know what, I'm just going to have that cookie or two. I'm just going to have that piece mm-hmm. of chocolate. But I find then that's a fine line for a lot of people because they have all the intention in the world to just have that one piece of chocolate or that yeah. cookie. And then all of a sudden there's that high and mm-hmm. there's the loss of control. So I think yeah. for each person, like depending where you are in your health journey, exactly. your relationship with food, mm-hmm. there may be a period of time where you aren't able to do that because it's too vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. And one thing that you mentioned on just kind of as I'm, as I'm thinking about this, you know, I'm like, yeah, I'm usually doing this, like watching a show at night. Um, and one of the things that you had mentioned recently on your Instagram was about uh, eating and multitasking. Mm-hmm. And even as we spoke earlier about our triggers and stress being a big one of those, um, of, of how you can talk about kind of food mindfulness and mm-hmm. how we attempt so often to multitask with yeah. food at the same time. For sure. And I think again, that comes to that overbooked schedule and it, it comes to this mm-hmm. like identity of, oh, I have to achieve and I have to please and I have to make sure everyone's taken care yeah. of, but then we don't take care of ourselves. And it's so important for us to slow down. And to me, mindfulness is about being present with food as often as possible. It's not about perfection, but it mm-hmm. is about, you know, having that nice meal, sitting down at your table or your desk with technology, computers, phones off, have mm-hmm. some nice music playing, have a positive interaction with your coworkers or your family or whomever, um, and sit Mm -hmm. and eat that food. Enjoy the taste and the texture. Put your fork down between bites. Mm -hmm. Check in. Am I full? Do I need a bit more? Go Mm -hmm. slowly because if you eat really fast, you get mixed signals with the hunger hormones. And then all of a sudden you feel way too full. Um, and I, I think the same with indulgence. Like if you want to have those chips or have that chocolate or that ice cream, you know, put some in a little bowl and sit down at the mm-hmm. table and enjoy it mindfully because it's when we get caught in front of the TV or on the computer that the mindlessness mm-hmm. takes over. And then we usually end up eating. There's a stat that talks about we end up eating 40 to 60% more, more. Mm-hmm. if we're mindlessly eating versus yeah. if we're paying attention. Um, so to me, that's what it is about. Like have a really nice table setting and mm-hmm. chew properly and have a connection with someone else. And if it's just you connect with yourself, yeah. how did my day go? Yep. How am I feeling? This food is so good, mm-hmm. right? Like, don't be afraid to connect with yourself and yeah. with your food. And, um, you know, I think slowing down is an act of self-love and mm-hmm. is part of building self-love, knowing mm-hmm. that you are important and valuable and, and making yourself a priority is important. Yeah. Um, I think that is part of building self-love. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to share a little bit of kind of even what my day to day work 
day looks like, um, which is, you know, not always my norm, uh, depending if I'm traveling or whatnot, but I'm Mm -hmm. also curious to hear yours after I share this. Um, it's one thing that I've talked about on the podcast before in terms of like time management, um, that works best for me is taking small breaks. So Mm. I literally, this is like my perfect day. And like, this is how I try to manage all of my work days. If I'm not like seeing clients or traveling or, Mm Some well, no, I would include recording too in, in this example. Um, but I'll wake up, I'll start my tea, I'll feed Lily, I uh, water my plants, I'll sit down and do probably about an hour and a half of emails, mm-hmm. take a break, mm-hmm. <laughs> have an apple with some nut butter or something, um, or I'll do some like healthy pancakes or whatever, mm-hmm. have a breakfast, so likely around like noonish. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, get back to work, do some more emails or do a recording. And then after that is usually when I do kind of my like around four o'clock-ish actual lunch slash liner uh, (laughs) where where I will take things from my garden or take things from the farmer's market. And literally the breaks are like I center my work days around my breaks for food Mm. um, Mm -hmm. so that I don't have to be on a call or I don't have to be looking at my screen to where I can sit out on the balcony with Lily, sit and eat my like Mm. salad from my garden or from the farmer's market. And I think when we increase our connection to food, we're able to actually appreciate it more and we're able to, you know, really actually feel a lot of the positive emotions around food without feeling guilty for them. Um, so, you know, when I literally use the lettuce from my garden, you know, it it helps me be so much more mindful because I want to sit and I want to appreciate that. And I want to be like, you know how long it took me to grow this and how much water I have to pay for to water these plants and the soil I had to buy and all of this stuff that just grows your appreciation for it to where it's not something you just want to shove in your mouth while you're, you know, walking to a meeting or something like that, but that it's something you really want to sit down and, and enjoy. Um, yeah. And in that, you get kind of a, a break from people and from your day. And mm-hmm. for me, it is kind of a nice way to, you know, get back in touch with myself, kind of how you said. Um, and I use Lily as, you know, yeah, I need to bond with Lily because I've been away right. or because I've been on the computer. And so she needs my attention out on the balcony. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. It's yeah. beautiful. Yeah, so I'm I'm curious kind of what, you know, day to day how you try to mindfully mm-hmm. eat then. I mean, that's kind of my example, but mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, and I can so relate to you in the sense of the break piece. So I get up, I do 15 or 20 minutes of self-care. Mm-hmm. I always like dry skin brush and then I have my breakfast and um again it's like phones over there, I'm just mm-hmm. going to chill and like enjoy this. It's so delicious. Um, and then same thing with me, then I, um, have little breaks where I have snacks, Mm -hmm. have my lunch break that's longer and that's what it's dedicated to. It's blocked up in my schedule. Mm -hmm. Nothing else takes priority over it. And then I'm sitting and nourishing and and eating mindfully. And it's true. Like, yeah, when you get that local food from the farmer's market, like I want to sit and enjoy it. It's so good. The flavors and I feel so nourished and my body feels so good. And Mm -hmm. I think it's true. Like when we have that more more of the connection with food and it's local, 
whether it's you, I love that you have your your garden. I can't wait to have one. Um, <laughs> just but get getting some it pots, from the market, you can do it. <laughs> right? Totally. Um, I think it just there is a different connection mm-hmm. versus when you're not paying attention. You don't know where your food's coming from. Totally. And, right. So mm-hmm. I, I totally agree with you there. Um, and then I'm also, you know, maybe while I'm eating or maybe when I'm done, I just check in you know, where am I at emotionally? Am Mm -hmm. I grounded right now? Or am I feeling a bit overwhelmed or resistant about something? Um, you know, how was that last client call? And was there some heaviness there that now I want to work on clearing for myself before I, you know, go into the the latter part of my day? Mm -hmm. Um, I think having that check-in be part of my break is so important to see if I need anything else other than the physical nourishment. Cause I'll often be like, okay, let's go breathe. Let's go do a few minutes of tapping or let's get outside for a few minutes and just connect with nature. Mm -hmm. And again, like, all you need is a few minutes to do that and and what a shift that can happen. Yeah. yeah, I mean, sometimes when I sit out on the balcony to eat my actual lunch, I feel like I've been out there for 30 minutes to an hour because I'm just yeah. by myself with Lily, not on my phone, just sitting mm-hmm. there eating. And then I come back in to put my plate in and I look at the time and it's like, it's only been like 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, that was really nice. <laughs> and like sometimes, yes. sometimes it hasn't been long enough and I just go back outside. But yeah, it's so important to actually be dedicated to taking that mm-hmm. time for yourself. Um, yeah. and working to kind of rid yourself from any shame or guilt of feeling like that's selfish. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing I really want to make sure that we get to, because I know it's, you know, all the rage these days. Um, mm-hmm. Before we have to wrap up, I would love for us to touch a little bit on um, some of the dangers of the ketogenic diet mm-hmm. um, that I know you've done some work on um, and how that can kind of cause binge eating. And mm-hmm. I know in the past for me, I've dated people that, um, you know, have been really excited about this diet to where... Mm-hmm you know, they wouldn't eat anything all day to do like the intermittent fasting type Mm. of thing. And then at, you know, six o'clock, sometimes eight o'clock, eating their first meal of the day, that is so excessive and huge. And for me Mm. personally, I think not healthy when it's, Mm -hmm. you know, a whole pound of meat with half a bag of shredded Mexican cheese and Mm -hmm. like two huge scoops of sour cream or it's like just a whole pound of bacon. And it's like, Mm -hmm. that's to me not healthy. And then maybe that's my own judgment, but um, I think with the combination of the intermittent fasting and the ketogenic diet that, that there are a lot of kind of dangers and things to be aware of in that. So I would love for you to touch on some of that in case anyone is listening who relates to the example I just shared. Well, and thank you for sharing that. This is huge right now. And I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, and I think, you know, I always encourage people to get curious about like, why do I want to do this? Because it's, it's so the claim right now to weight loss and you get to eat all this fat. Um, but what I see happening are, are some key, like serious things that are not healthy for someone in their body in relationship with food. So I see it fueling food fears because you're not supposed to Mm -hmm. eat a lot of carbs. You have to limit that big time. So now all of a sudden, I have people coming to work with me and, and they're afraid to eat a bell pepper, a carrot, a berry. Um, yeah. Like they're all now all of a sudden these foods are bad or unhealthy because they've created this new programming in their mind from this diet. Yeah. And to me, any diet or eating style mm-hmm. where you literally have to be perfect to get results is just huge red flag. Yeah. Don't even go there. Just don't even waste your time or money mm-hmm. or energy looking at it because again, anything that 
tells you you have to be perfect is going to skew your relationship with food. And then if you do have a day where you go out of ketosis and you eat more carbs or you have a piece of chocolate or whatever it is that isn't keto friendly, all of a sudden you're going to judge yourself. You're going to feel guilty and bad. And then that's either going to fuel the want to restrict or it's going to fuel, well, I've already messed up. So now I'm going to go full blown binge. Um, And then that's happening. So I actually see it, unfortunately, creating or fueling eating disorders in women and then I see the impact on the digestion and the hormones. So it claims to help your thyroid and your cortisol. And maybe that's the case for a few people, but for anyone I know, there's always this emotional relationship Mm -hmm. to food. And if you don't know your current state of health, which is things like your relationship with food and your hormones, please Mm -hmm. do not, I would encourage you to not go on an extreme eating cell like keto because it's fueling adrenal fatigue. It's causing more weight gain in the long run. It's impacting the thyroid and it's, it's Mm -hmm. setting your body up for just like a huge, um, kind of breakdown in a sense, physically and emotionally. And I've, I've not had anybody who, um, has ever had a positive outcome with it. That being said, I'm sure there's like a small part Mm -hmm. of the population that maybe, but again, if it's not realistic, if you can't travel and like, you know, Mm -hmm. enjoy some food, if you can't even have a piece of your own birthday cake, right? Like if you really have to change everything so much and now you're obsessed about eating a certain way, like to me, that's not a healthy Mm -hmm. relationship with food. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't think we should be afraid of of things that are coming from nature that are so nourishing yeah. for us. Yep. Um, we have to really work on changing the beliefs and the mindset around what that diet has mm-hmm. kind of ingrained within us. Absolutely. And I really, really love two of the things that you said. One being um, of asking yourself why you want to do this. And I think not only with keto, but with any kind of diet of asking yourself, why would I want to do this? And Mm -hmm. what is it about this that's pulling me towards it? Because I think that can tell you a lot about where you're at emotionally and what it is that you're looking for with your body and that there might Mm -hmm. be other better ways to accomplish that than whatever this diet may be. And mm-hmm. um, second is just kind of saying how drastic of a change that sometimes this can be. And that's where, again, anytime someone asks me or when I do try to share about my food journey mm-hmm. is, you know, I didn't become plant-based overnight and I mm-hmm. didn't, um, I used to have really, really terrible eating habits. Um, and I would eat foods that really weren't healthy for me, but I didn't just cut all that out overnight and mm-hmm. throw away all my boxes of, you know, <laughs> whatever I liked to eat in my Cheez-Its. <laughs> you know, I didn't just throw all those out. Yeah. Um, it was such a gradual transition over several years for me mm-hmm. to have this relationship now with food and, and growing food um, that has put me in a, in a lifestyle where I feel good, except for when mm-hmm. I'm PMSing, um, <laughs> but where I feel like I'm in a good place. And I, and I think people can be so hard on themselves and want to see results immediately, both yeah. in how they feel and in how they look. Um, and I would just really want to reiterate to people that this stuff really does take time and yes. that like that's okay. And I think throughout that process um, of doing that emotional work to check in to where, you know, I think you would find that a lot of the things that you're trying to control and fill with food um, can be done emotionally through your own Mm -hmm. work. Mm -hmm. Oh, 100%. Because any need to have control usually comes from an insecurity or a fear of losing control. And Mm -hmm. usually what is below that fear which I'm sure you can agree with me, is this feeling of not feeling worthy, not feeling good enough, right? Mm -hmm. And so when we can become aware of 
what kind of emotions are fueling our decisions and our actions and our behaviors. And if it's mostly fear-based and control-based, it's like, okay, well, there's mm-hmm. a great, beautiful opportunity to slowly, you know, lovingly challenge that and step outside your comfort zone and try to use self-care and to try to, um, you know, build that self-worth and, and that self-love and not have to then come from fear, anxiety, mm-hmm. panic, worry, with your decisions and you'll find yourself being more calm and more grounded mm-hmm. and being able to be more mindful with food. So I completely agree with you. I think that there's so much amazing shifting we can do if we go deeper than just the surface again of diet and, mm-hmm. and exercise. Yeah. And it is so unfortunate because that is just kind of a lot of what society trains us to feel yeah. and, and to believe. Um, and I am kind of curious as I guess just kind of two questions to leave us off on um, that I haven't totally gotten to in other episodes around food and kind of uh, body work. But um, again, we can always have you on the podcast again if I'm in Calgary (laughs) or something. But um, I am just kind of curious in terms of like a sample of the people that you work with of how many, like what's the difference uh, for men and women quantity wise? Yeah. So primarily I work with like 98% women. Yeah. Um, I have the odd male client that comes along and I, mm-hmm. I do want to acknowledge that there probably is a good part of the population of men who are yeah. struggling with emotional eating body image, Absolutely. but it is primarily women. And, um, I find that some of them are in their twenties and thirties, but a lot are 40 to 60 and mm-hmm. they are so done with the suffering and the decades of struggle. Yeah. And they're also worried about their future health and, and mm-hmm. their life if they don't start to make some serious changes. Yeah. Um, and so they come to me going, I've tried every diet, but nothing is working. And mm-hmm. then they shame themselves because they think there's something wrong with them. And I go, yeah. "It's there's nothing wrong with you. It's just a different approach will probably be very helpful for you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, no, yeah. I think that's such a good point. I didn't even actually really think about um, the men in their 40s to 60s. But yeah, I think that is an age range of people where their health starts to become much mm-hmm. more, you know, important to them. And yeah. if you look at, you know, the stereotype of men never going to doctors, then, you know, yeah, over time, mm-hmm. <laughs> stuff's going to come up. Um, but where, you know, at least in, in my schema of men around that age, that might be learning now about things like heart disease and struggling mm-hmm. with their cholesterol that are yeah. used to being able to kind of eat whatever portion size they want. And it's also mm-hmm. maybe kind of whatever, again, stereotypically in the schema of whatever the wife has made and whatever mm-hmm. is just, you know, it's a whole family system that yeah. really then has to be tackled. Um, yes. But I would totally agree. I think that there are many men that, that struggle with this. And I mean, mm-hmm. even of my male and female friends and even who I've been in relationships with romantically that I've almost seen more of that come through in the people I've dated mm-hmm. um, than I have in yeah. some of my own girlfriends um, that I do yeah. think this whole topic is something that a conversation that unfortunately men are left out of sometimes um, yeah. that I would love to be able to focus on more at some point. Um, <laughs> and, but, and then my other question too, again, kind of to that same notion um, is how many kind of people of color and what's the diversity look like for you? Um, mm-hmm. I think often we see that it is uh, white women that, you know, come forward or are struggling with these mm-hmm. kinds of things. Um, and I think that also has to do with the different messaging mm-hmm. that we get around what our bodies look like and mm-hmm. what our background is and yeah. things that are okay and attractive on one person, but not on the other and all that yeah. kind of stuff. 
Yeah. And so I do see a lot of, um, you know, women, white women coming forth, but I also see, um, you know, women from Asia yeah. who are coming forth. And I do see people who are coming forth from India and, mm-hmm. and you start to see, you're seeing more of it because I think they're getting more access to outside of the box information. But I, I really do feel like there's a staggering stat that I, um, came upon that's just been ingrained within my brain that I had read a few months ago. And it talked about that 80% of the female population in North America struggle, struggles with some form of disordered yeah. eating or body image issue. And that it is now starting as early as five. Mm-hmm. So I think especially here in North America, there's a completely different culture yeah, than I in agree. a lot of these other countries mm-hmm. in that it is about like, there's it's skewed because this food industry wants you to become addicted to the food to make money but then we're not taught to be proactive with our health learn how to listen to our bodies take care of our bodies yep um and then it just creates this huge vicious cycle um whereas i feel like there's such a different relationship with food taught in these other a lot of these other cultures and it's like family connection but they're farming as close to nature as possible and a lot Mm -hmm. of the things that are banned there are not here and it's it is different, I think, in a lot of these places, unless they're accessing like bigger cities with more, you know, mm-hmm. where it is more refined and there's a lot more of that convenience food available. Yeah. Um, so it's very interesting to see how profound it is here in North America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, yeah. I think it, it is so sad and disappointing to me. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I feel like a total like little hippie over here, but <laughs> I mean, I also will own that. Um, yeah. But I think we are so, we've lost so much touch in North America mm-hmm. with our food and that connection to it. And it just makes me so sad because I think honestly, so many things in our society and um, environmentally, mm-hmm. emotionally, spiritually, that our lives could be so different if we were yeah. more connected, more educated, more aware of our food systems. And mm-hmm. um, to you know, I would highly encourage anyone listening to this episode and to you, Amber, to, you know, get a little pot and yeah. put some basil in there or something. Mm-hmm. Um, it I don't know. To me, it, it makes such a difference um, being yeah. around and, you know, watching the process of how we actually oh, yeah. get our food. Like mm-hmm. you treat it so differently when you do. And I don't, most of us are not brought up around that mm-hmm. with education or experience. Um, yeah. And yeah, I mean, yeah. that's my little hippie soapbox. <laughs> I love it though, because I grew up in a farming community. My grandparents had like a two acre farm. Like I was out there playing mm-hmm. around and picking fresh veggies all the time. So I'm so grateful that I had that experience. And luckily where I live, there's a really nice emphasis on supporting local producers and farmers. Mm-hmm. And so I order like the spud box every week and it comes with all local, like, yeah. you know, produce and meat and, and those things, which is great. But I, I think it's so true. We've lost touch with how the food has grown. It's uh, and I think it's whether you can grow it yourself or support a local farmer and mm-hmm. vote with your dollars. Oh yeah, I'm all about it the vote. It just makes a huge difference, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah. I feel so much better. Maybe I'm paying a bit more, but I want to support the local farmer who is producing yeah. amazing food and can tell me every step of his mm-hmm. process. There is nothing shady about it. And yeah. it is, you can tell in the taste and the flavor and the color, right? Yeah. Um, it's totally worth it to vote with your dollars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even when I said earlier, you know, that this journey for me took a long time, you know, several mm-hmm. years of things, you know, yeah, I didn't just get rid of my Cheez-Its, you know, I transitioned yeah. to purchasing like my organic <laughs> Cheez-Its. 
it's from like companies like Back to Nature that I absolutely yeah. love. Um, and being so much more intentional around, you know, what companies I am giving my money to mm-hmm. because it is, you are totally voting with your dollars and it totally freaking matters because yes. what the consumers are buying or what the companies want to produce and what the grocery stores want to hold and carry and support. Mm-hmm. And it's, I guess, more of a um, bottom up kind of yeah. uh, thing. Um yeah, I'm very, very intentional about that and making sure that the brands, you know, when I'm not able to purchase something at the grocery or at the farmer's market that I'm going to even here in, I mean, I'm very blessed to be in Seattle, um, <laughs> but we have like a co-op grocery store called PCC and, you know, they they source almost everything locally and they have like very, very strict policies even mm. on which companies they allow awesome. their uh, the products to hold. And so it's a place where I feel safe and that I know, you know, I'm not necessarily going to be supporting companies like Pepsi or Mm -hmm. Mm Coca-Cola and the products that I buy, uh, like even the naked smoothies, you know, that I think we Mm -hmm. see in the grocery stores all the time. Like I'm pretty sure they were bought out by Coca-Cola. And so like PCC does not carry that (laughs) and like Mm -hmm. things like that where, um, when I think you become more educated in it, you really can start to vote more with your dollars. And it makes, makes me feel better about the food that I am buying. Oh, a hundred percent. And I agree with you. And I think, like you said, give yourself time to learn about that Mm -hmm. and educate. And if you're like, I feel so overwhelmed and I don't even know where to start. Well, then maybe that is where you connect with someone who can help to educate you. Mm -hmm. Um, because that can be a huge block for people is going online and Googling. Yeah. Right. And they read all this like, conflicting information and then they're like I just don't know where are the cookies yes right so but <laughs> yes. no, I agree so much with you and it's so so nice to have access to to that local food mm-hmm. and and to know to just know you're supporting a great brand that yeah has your best interests in mind mm-hmm. absolutely I mean even I think something so simple and you know delicious that we all love things like our cookies you know Mm -hmm. i i rarely like the ones that i bake and do my like two portioned Mm -hmm. out cookies are from this company called cougar mountain that are based here in seattle um so i feel good about supporting local but um really most of my like actual goodies i purchase at the farmer's market like mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> my my two guys, Alex um, and David at uh, the Ballard Farmer's Market, like I get my peanut butter cookies from them and I get awesome. like, uh, they make delicious like little biscuits and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, you know, if I'm going to mm-hmm. buy these things, like I'm going to buy them from these guys that I trust and that yeah. are fantastic and that care about their ingredients and mm-hmm. source it from local farmers and all kinds of stuff. And I mean, I could literally go on a total soapbox about all of this eating local and supporting your community. But yeah. um, I think it does play a role emotionally it in, does. in our emotional eating. 100%. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Well, um, I would love for you to share um, where people can find you and how, mm-hmm. you know, if people want to follow your stuff or if they want to work with you of kind of how they could go about doing that. Yeah. So, um, you can find me on my website at amberproof.ca there. If you are interested to connect more, you can hit the contact page or you can actually book a 30 minute complimentary body freedom call. I connect with people all over the world. So it doesn't mm-hmm. matter where you are. It's easy to do it online. Um, yeah. on Instagram, I'm at Amber Romaniak. And then I have my podcast, the no sugar coating podcast where I delve mm-hmm. 
really deeply into everything we've talked about today and a lot more. Um, So it's really a great space for people to come in and hear the vulnerable stories and experiences and Mm -hmm. hopefully be inspired. So yeah. yeah. And I'll probably be a guest on that podcast too. So make sure to check that out. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, I'm super excited too. Um, And so could you just clarify that again? So the sessions that you do, the 30 minute sessions as Mm -hmm. like a consultation call, those are free? Yeah. So I offer a 30 minute complimentary call to connect and to talk about your health goals, your struggles, what isn't working, what's Mm -hmm. holding you back. And then from there, we can see if it's something that you want to further pursue. That's amazing that you offer that. Oh, thank you. It's a great way to connect with people and see Mm -hmm. where they're at. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, if anyone listening to this has any kind of questions um, or, you know, is interested in um, getting this kind of work done with their eating, I think they should definitely reach out and try that out. I mean, why not? Give give Amber a call and oh, reach thanks. out through her website. Um, but yeah, thank you so, so, so much for coming on and chatting with us today. Well, thank you so much for having me. And again, thank you for just sharing what you have and and creating this beautiful space for your audience as well. Yeah, thank you. Thank you guys so much for listening to this whole episode and listening to my little mini rant about being connected to our food and our community. Um, I hope you guys really enjoyed listening to Amber's story and all of the amazing uh, input and tips that she has for you guys. Um, all of the links to kind of check her out will be in the episode notes. And I really, really kind of as a homework for you guys, um, would love for you to just peek at her stuff um, and do maybe a little bit of a check in with yourself and, you know, try to have a lunch where you're eating very mindfully or dinner where, you know, you're, you're being mindful about what you're eating um, and perhaps cooking it together with your roommate or your friend or your partner or just by yourself, but being really mindful about what it is you're cooking and how you're going to nourish yourself um, and just taking that self-care, honestly. Um, And would love to hear kind of how you guys go about doing this. So uh, feel free to leave a comment or message me on Instagram at Tamoka, but also would love to read um, kind of your guys' takeaways in an iTunes review if you haven't already left one. Um, I think it'd be amazing to get some of this feedback from you guys on there, whether it's in a star rating or just leaving a quick little comment there. Um, We are almost at a thousand reviews Reviews, and I would love by the end of summer to get to a thousand reviews and um, really just, you know, feel your guys' support around the podcast. So if you have a minute after this, please head on over there to iTunes to leave a rating or a review. And um, that really does it for today's episode. But thank you guys so much for tuning in and I'll talk to you next time. podcast is brought to you by Wave Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows, including the Brain Candy Podcast, I Don't Get It, Coffee Convos, and Let's Talk About It. Surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing, help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your generosity.